Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host Luke Brown and joining me in the studio this week we have sports editor Ben Burrows, columnist Tony Evans and feature writer Vitushan Ahantaraja. This week, we are going to be taking a closer look at four managers struggling to keep their jobs in the Premier League. There is mutiny in the air at Arsenal, West Ham, Everton and Manchester United. But which Premier League manager will be the third man to lose his job this season after Maurizio Pochettino was, of course, sacked last week? Before that, though, we're going to discuss the start of the man who replaced him. Vish, you have been at both of Tottenham's games under new manager Jose Mourinho. Have you been impressed? Um, I, I suppose I have. I'm certainly impressed with the players. I think if you saw their performance the first 70 minutes at West Ham and then the, well, I suppose the last 60 or so, uh, um, you know, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against Olympiacos, I think they were, they had that energy that they, they used to, certainly in the second half of the Champions League game. They played with that snap that I suppose was the hallmark of those Pochettino sides, um, well, that Pochettino side in that two-year period where they, um, you know, obviously finished behind Leicester and then Chelsea, but essentially became the coming force in, in English football at that time before Man City and Liverpool bucked their ideas up. Um, with the man himself, I think it was it was really interesting. So obviously he'd sold this image of him being, you know, more caring and more understanding, the more humble the humble one, yeah, more sensitive Mourinho. And I think he has tried to play that card so many times, but every now and again. He's just kind of, the mask has slipped a bit. There was an instance yesterday where one of the goals was set up by a ball boy, um, the equaliser when the ball boy relayed it to Serge Aurier, who released Moro across the cane, and that was 2-2. And even in praising the ball boy, Mourinho had to put in there that when he was a ball boy, he was also very good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the, the signs are there that there is something happening that has made the change worthwhile, I suppose. And, uh, you know, when the way they sacked... Pochettino was a bit of a surprise, and I know we addressed it last week. But seeing what Mourinho's done in the week, I'm not going to say that it's not going to go, you know, belly up. And obviously, what we've seen from Mourinho in his past couple of stints, his second time at Chelsea, and then at Old Trafford, was that his patience is wearing thin, and players wear thin with him quicker. Mm. Um, I wonder if he's caught these Spurs players at the right time when they were just feeling a bit sorry for themselves. And I suppose Deli Ali is a great example of that. He was he was very good. I think he was Spurs' man of the match yesterday, actually, in terms of. His work off the ball, his work with the ball at his feet as well. And um, yeah, I suppose, you know, it's only a weekend, but the signs are good so far. Oh, do you think, though? I mean, you know, I mean, I was a terrible ball boy, but <laughs> I mean, could I have gone in and had that effect at Tottenham? Because they're good players. And is it more to the point that, you know, Pochettino, who's alienated so many in the dressing room and had worn thin with so many, has gone. And this is a good group of players. I mean, they. T- you know, they haven't turned bad overnight. You know, they're, they're, they're the core of the England team that people are expect to go on and win, 
well, hoping they'll go on and win the European Championships. It's it's a it's a good squad, um, and it was just you know Pochettino has outworn us welcome, and almost anyone could have come in. You know, and maybe maybe not me, maybe, maybe Neil Warnock could have gone in, and they would have responded as well. Certainly in the short term. Yeah, I would agree with that because I think a lot of what Mourinho has done in this week has been because he's Mourinho. I think if you have someone with that high profile who's going into that dressing room and just telling them to run a bit more, to you know, be a bit sharper, then, then they'll listen, wouldn't they? Because evidently the issue was that Pochettino's message had gone a bit stale. And I suppose a great example of that would say if they got a former player and whoever that might say, so let's say they brought in Jurgen Klinsmann, for example, for, for the six months until the end of the season. He probably would have won these two games. West Ham were piss poor and Olympiacos at the bottom of that group. So he's not really worked a miracle so far. I suppose what is interesting is that he's he's already tempering expectations. Even yesterday when he said that at half-time he was a softer version of himself. And that in part is because Deli Ali equalised on the stroke of half-time, so it was 2-1 instead of 2-0. But he seems to be... He, he seems to be creating this image that this is a, a Spurs side in a bit of disarray, who are feeling very, very sorry for themselves, lacking a bit of self-esteem. When actually, you know, when you step back, as you say, Tony, <laughs> these are damn good players. You know, they mm. they could fit into any team in the Premier League comfortably. I reckon. Yeah. Um, certainly, the likes of Ali and, and Ericsson and players like that, Kane, obviously. So um, yeah, no, I, I'd be inclined to agree that. Um, yeah, he's not exactly working miracles. I, and think, I think they're unlucky, aren't they, that Ben Davis picked up that injury against West Ham because I know that game's now been written off as a sort of, you know, fun, fluky game where Spurs looked good and then had this kind of defensive capitulation, but they were actually defending pretty well before Davis went off. And then Danny Rose came on. He didn't look particularly great against Olympiacos. And also, Spurs were doing that quite nice thing where Davis was essentially tucking in and making it a three-man defence and then Aurier was just bombing down the wing. So, yeah, he could be a bit of a loss going forward. Yeah, I wonder if they if actually someone like Vertonghen would be better suited yeah. in that position considering better than that, Sassanian, surely. Yeah, exactly. Considering that Aurier is one of those fullbacks he's obviously he's a bit wild, but he kind of comes inside a lot more than say well, any of Spurs' other fullbacks. And if you're only gonna need someone coming on the outside of Sun, because Sun likes, mm. you know, barreling towards goal, then you know Vertonghen can do that. There was I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. Do you remember that game where he... You're a Spurs fan, so you'd know this, but <laughs> that game where Vertonghen... <laughs> <laughs> but you know that game where Vertonghen basically became Roberto Carlos for about <laughs> yeah. two weeks? Dortmund, yeah. Yeah, that, that was it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he plays there for Belgium as well, so he's kind of... Well, there really you go. I wonder if kind of longer term that would be better. But then I suppose if you do that, then you lose cover at centre-back, don't you? Potentially, although Sanchez has been playing pretty well I think I mean in terms of like say for example you know if you have a, Mourinho's always liked populating his bench with I see what you, mean, you know yeah, yeah. Of, of players that can come in in exactly the right positions that he likes and yeah, I I'm, not, I'm not sure Mourinho's the man to develop Tanganga at centre-back and <laughs> <laughs> um, Ben were you kind of expecting I mean I guess everyone thought Mourinho was going to come in and Spurs were going to be very defensively solid and we might see some sort of quite boring football and yet two games four goals conceded a lot scored were you, were you kind of expecting this? It's quite interesting. Rich Jolly, a friend of this parish, pointed out on Twitter this morning that they've scored more goals in his first two games at Tottenham than he scored. they scored in the first seven or so games in his last spell at Chelsea, I believe. So it is quite interesting. You expect sort of Mourinho as a sort of the the sort of thing that's gone with him. He's a very organised manager, and he's sort of what he's going to achieve is sort of get more out of the collective than the individuals. But it's sort of given this, like we've just said, how good the Tottenham squad is individually. It almost feels like you've got that sort of base level of guys like Harry Kane is going to give you seven out of ten every week. So what he's now the sort of the early signs are, if you just improve one or two individuals, then 
the overall level and everyone improves. So you look at Serge Aurier, he was fabulous yesterday. And a guy like Ali, was, as Miguel pointed out in a piece that he wrote over the weekend, he could be his, his deco in this team. He's a or like an Oscar kind of figure. He's Frank got every, Lampard. Frank Lampard. He's got all the things you could you would like. It looks so he's already responded and he's already publicly said that he's almost like one of his pet project players. But like somebody like yeah Ali, he's already obviously likes Dyer for twenty five minutes last night. <laughs> but it seems like if he raises the performance of just one or two individuals, a couple of key individuals who are playing very poorly under Pochettino, then the sort of the base level of players he already has, like an Alderweireld, like a Kane, mm. like a Son, who are going to be brilliant basically every week, mm. then this team can be good quickly. Well, I mean, Daniel Levy thinks that Tottenham have got the, the best squad in the country, and I don't think he's wrong. And Mourinho will come in and endorse that and agrees with him. Um, one of the things that gets managers sacked, aside from falling out with players, is wanting to rebuild squads that the owners think are you know, manage them. They're pretty good. They're their best. I think it's self-evident that Tottenham are. And um, so that, yeah, that was that was the end of Pochettino. But for Mourinho, it's almost a gift from the gods because this is this is a really good squad where uh, need a bit of tinkering, needs a, a boost in morale. But the raw materials are there. The test for Mourinho will come probably around February or March when... The, you know, the, the 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 downside of it is you've got a group of players who effectively got a manager sacked. Uh, you know, once groups of players get that habit, sometimes it's hard to break. Chelsea is the perfect example where the the group who got basically saw saw off uh, Jose. You know, they they've seen off another two since, and so he's he's, he's got a, a rebuild and unite them. But the interesting thing about him, and it goes back to his first time at Chelsea when I um, sort of talking to him back then, and he talked about tactics didn't matter. Most of the players in the Premier League were very similar standards, you know, barely any difference, apart from a few, you know, top-class ones. You know, at the time he said Lampard and Steven Gerrard. Um, you know, and the, the rest of me thought he could manage any team, you know, and, and do really well. And, uh, you know, it... The, the key to it, he, he said, was getting them to play for each other. You know, so that he said, the band are brothers thing. He said, you've all seen that, yeah. And yeah, and um, he said, doesn't matter if they hate me or you, you know, me and the media. And and that's what he was good at then. And let's see as he retained that with his new kind of gentler persona. <laughs> A kind of gentler Mourinho. Okay, well, moving on to uh, some of the managers that are struggling. Let's start with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, Manchester United currently sit ninth in the Premier League table. They've got an identical record to Spurs. So that's played 13, won four, drawn five, lost four. They drew with Sheffield United last weekend. And let's hear what Solskjaer had to say after that. Yeah, we did play badly first half. We didn't win any challenges. We didn't stick to what we had planned. But to be able to shake them fears away, what it looked like fears first half when you're 2-0 down... Um, and don't give up. Uh, you don't expect them to give up, but last year we did. This year we don't. We didn't. So it's a massive, massive difference uh, in that respect. Tony, we understand he's under slightly less pressure than the managers of Arsenal, West Ham, and Everton. But realistically, how much longer do you think United can spend in mid-table before a decision is made on his future? 
Well, I think uh, it'll have to be done very quickly because the, uh, the the other side of the coin there of other managers being under pressure is Pochettino's available. Mm. Now, I think from the thing that'll save Solskjaer in the short term is that Pochettino doesn't really want to go to Goodison. <laughs> you know, to, uh, we'll come back to that one later. Um, Arsenal's probably not on for him um, for a variety of reasons. And, um, and, and, you know, so the jobs that are up and available and not likely to attract Pochettino. He wants to go to Real Madrid and Man United, two biggest clubs in the world. They're both interested in him. If not, he's got PSG probably as a fallback. So they don't have to make the decision too quickly. But with with Poch out there, I, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it happens before Christmas. Yeah, I mean, surely Woodward has to be bold on this. I mean, you've got one of the best managers in the world that they've courted for ages and ages and they can get on a free essentially does, it, does he have to kind of make his move now it's a tricky one it's something we've discussed in this room several times I think it's sort of at a certain point sacking a manager who was the guy that you handpicked yourself reflects worse on you than it does <laughs> on the guy you're sacking so I think you'd be foolish to think that Woodward isn't uh, very acutely aware of the optics of this whole thing so he could go and hire a manager who will be a better manager and do a better job, which I've got no doubt Pochettino would. He's proven that over a long enough period. But I think Woodward is very wedded to the idea of Solskjaer and what he's sort of, he's managed to sort of cultivate there, even in small doses. And also, yeah, you speak to those around the club and that's so re- so very important to them. The, the night in Paris is still so important to them that they're sort of still tied to that idea of what is possible with Solskjaer and he is bedding in youngsters and stuff. I think that's something they've always been very keen to push. So I think if, if at all, if Woodward can make it work at all with Solskjaer, he'll give it enough time to do so, yeah, rightly I mean, or wrongly. At least, I suppose, the free free the way they fought back offers some encouragement. And obviously it is a squad, you know, full of young players, and some of those young players are starting to starting to look quite good. Is there a silver lining? <laughs> um, to be honest, I don't think so. I think if we rewatch that, Game against Sheffield United, specifically those, you know, those last twenty minutes, they they were off their feet, Sheffield United, because they'd played so yeah. well before that, and they'd outrun, outpassed, outthought Manchester United there, and United had enough on reserve because they were just sh- chasing shadows for most of the time. Um, it's interesting what Ben mentioned about um, about Woodward. It's that kind of you can adapt that line from the thick of it, where you know, sacked, sacked after six games, it looks like you messed up. Sacked after six months, it looks like we messed up in this particular situation. But yeah, I don't. I feel like they do have to move quickly for Pochettino because there are going to be better jobs out there. Because the United job gets worse and worse the longer Solskjaer is in position, because United get further and further away from Champions League football, and they're less and less likely to win the Europa League. So they've got a they've got to really kind of come together and think, you know, that regardless of how it looks and, you know, the image of it, if they consider themselves a big club, then they need to make these kind of decisions. The telling thing was in reaction to that comeback against Sheffield United, it was, you know, even the the commentators who've watched enough of United to know better, but like, this is the United of old. And it's just like, you know, United haven't been that United in quite a while. It's just, yeah, I think we're in a situation now where, I mean, the longer it drags on for the less Pochettino is going to want it and the less it becomes an attractive job for, for any high-profile manager, not just whoever's going to replace Solskjaer in the immediate term. Do you think so? I mean, because one of the things, when Poch went to 
Tottenham. It was a bit like, it's a free hit. All you have to do is get them up into the top four. You know, they've got a good squad of kids coming through. They got a little bit of money, not great, you know, not the most money. But, you know, in, in, a, in a division where there's a lot of bad teams, all you have to do is get them there. And United are so, the, the morale is so low now. You know, if, if they, they don't qualify in the Champions League this year, United are one of the, what, three or four clubs in the world who can solve all the problems in one transfer window. So, you know, you, you buy a load of talent. You've got some kids. They're, they're okay. I mean, we're, they're getting oversold, as United kids often do, since the class of 92 at the moment. And there's a lot of wishful thinking going on. But, you know, you, you could take over there towards the end of the season with them, you know, in the bottom half of the table. And... Think to yourself, next year we'll be in a top four and it'll be a doddle. I think people forget as well that Poch doesn't have a great record signing players. And obviously, a lot of the, the reason for the fallout with Levy was, you know, apparently because he's vetoed, you know, X, Y, and Z, and, and Levy was getting quite frustrated with that. And so, if he goes to a club which, <laughs> under Ed Woodward, also seems to have quite a muddled transfer strategy, does he really have sort of the kudos or the experience to, to come in and, and say the players that he wants and for them to lift United up? It's tricky, isn't it? I think, yeah, we've, we've again, we've gone over this plenty of times. I think the structure there is always going to be, uh, is going to hamstring any manager straight out of the gate. I don't think Woodward's going to cede the power that potentially Poch would look for. I think any high-profile manager would look for. I think the thing at Manchester United that it's both a, a good thing and a bad thing is that, that it's that expectation at Manchester United. So, like, Jose could do the exact same job as he did at Manchester United at Tottenham and he'll be lauded, he'll have a statue outside the front of the stadium for getting a, a European trophy in top four. But it's, and that's no like, that's no slight on Tottenham, that's just where the jobs are and the clubs are historically. Manchester United, they are, rightly or wrongly, and still, however many years afterwards, they are still Fergie's Manchester United in the eyes of so many people. So, unless they're winning trebles, you are underperforming the guy before you. And it's like, it's, that's always going to make it, to quote, the England thing, it's the impossible job. It's or it's nigh on impossible to achieve what Manchester United as their entity want to want you to achieve. I I mean, I, I think whatever happens, United uh, if not the biggest club in the world, certainly in the top three. And you know, you, that that gives you an enormous amount of power. And notwithstanding all the chaos behind the scenes and the fact that they've got, you know, arguably the worst executive in the <laughs> In the in well no we can't not while Christian Pearsall is alive but Edwards Ed was <laughs> second worst Edwards was you know it's um you know the, the um the, the you go in there and you know can Poch pick a player oh, I don't know either but I'll tell you what if you've got 300, 400 million to spend you don't need to be a genius do you you know it's you go for proven talent in in certain positions and. You know, and try and get one with the right attitude, um, and 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 also the the one thing that he's really good at is sort of bringing young players together and bringing young players through. So I mean, I think for him, it's probably the dream job because I'd rather go probably and work with Woodward as inept as he is at Old Trafford than go to Real Madrid and work with uh, Florentino Perez, who is um, who's, who's a nightmare. Well, a man struggling even more than Solskjaer, considerably more than Solskjaer actually, is Marco Silva at Everton. <laughs> Everton spent big this summer and yet they sit 16th. Uh, Tony, where do you think it's all gone wrong for them this season? 
well, not this season, is it? I mean, you know, it's gone uh, since Mashiri come in and, you know, the great hopes. I mean, they've made a series of bad appointments and they've bought, you know, uh, bought badly. I mean, you know, when, when Steve Walsh come in from Tottenham, Sorry, from Leicester after winning the, the title there, you know, as a director of recruitment, you thought, oh, this is going to be brilliant, you know, um, and they signed players that haven't worked out. And, you know, the, Marcel Brands has come in, the same thing, big reputation. And you look at the team and they're all over the place. The managers have been poor choices. I mean, Silver, what was that all about? I mean, you know, this, this is a man. Who they were? Ne- they nearly paid Watford fifteen million yeah. to get, and then he was sacked a matter of weeks later. So I suppose that's the one stroke of luck Everton have had in the last few years. But um, but then then they, they brought him in. They're desperate to get him. There's 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 internally there's confusion. You know, Mashiri is supposed Mashiri is the owner. He's supposed to be uh, taking charge, but increasingly over the last couple of years, Cam Wright has reasserted his influence, and there's a lot of people there who think. That that's a very very bad thing. Um, they 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 need to find themselves a proper manager and someone who can you know if they're going to have a director of football, a head of recruitment, they need to get one who can actually find players, work with the manager, and get the sort of players that will suit the way the manager wants to play. Fish, what do you make of of Marco Silva as a manager? I mean, he obviously Everton courted him for quite a long time. He came to Hull from Olympiacos where he won the league. At Hull, he had a 36.4% win percentage. At Watford, he had a 30.8% win percentage. And then at Everton, it's just over 40%. So he's he's on his third club in the Premier League, and yet he's never really had considerable success. <laughs> I don't know, he must be, you know, Hall of Fame in interviews. Because, well, even to be honest, even I fall for it, I still think of him as, as this kind of manager who just needs a lucky break. And I don't really know where that comes from. I think we kind of look at Watford as a bit of a basket case in many ways and kind of... You know, as Tony, you've, you've um, put across eloquently there about Everton being, you know, in a similar situation, and therefore you kind of you cut him a bit of slack. But he doesn't seem to. He seems to want to play this engaging football, and yet seemingly at times has shown that he really doesn't know how to organise a defence. And even when he plays, when he puts out a team that is a bit more defensive minded, they just seem to be, you know, five on four, and then you know, completely done for in terms of midfield and defence together. So. I don't really know where his next move would be or even if it would be the right move to sack him, if that makes sense. Because I know, that, you know, there was talk of David Moyes possibly, you know, being the man to come back and about having to move quickly in case West Ham got there. And like even that, as I say, it sounds mad. And I kind of think, well, if that's your only option, if David Moyes is your only option, I mean... To West Ham and Everton, don't go back. Just almost stick with what you've got. Is, is this the worst tug of war over a manager <laughs> in the history of football? West Ham and Everton over David Moyes. <laughs> oh, you know, it's... Um, and, uh, you know, going back, I mean, Everton have a history of going back to former managers. You know, um, they, they, Howard Kendall, how many times does he go back? Oh, 17 or 18, wasn't it? Nearly got them relegated. You know, uh, Howard was great in his first... Um, it's fair spell there, you know, I must say that. But, you know, what they need to do, they need to look for a manager who can take them forward and build some sort of structure at the club. They don't need another firefighter, which essentially Moyes would be. As we say often when we're talking about crisis, quote-unquote, crisis clubs, it's that it feels, again, another case of a lack of joined-up thinking, really, right? It's sort of like the right hand is buying one set of players, the left hand's coaching them in a Mm. different way. It's sort of it's hard to see how a team with like 
Alex Iwobi, Richarlison and Bernardo and Sigurdsson sort of all fit together in the same lineup. You've got Moise Keane, who was bought at a huge, like, great expense for clearly the manager doesn't fancy him at all. You've got like Calvert-Lewin, he's a, he's a decent player maybe with with a, a better player alongside him, but I don't think he's a Premier League number nine. It's sort of like, it's again, it's sort of like one step forward, two steps back a lot. And they're not by any means the only club are doing this. We'll go on to talk about a couple of others who are doing the same thing where it's sort of like they're not all on the same page for City's faults behind the scenes, of which we've again, we've talked about at length. They are fully united in one straight line. It's why they are good. It's because Begaristan and Serrano, Soriano and... Guardiola are all on the same page. They like the same players. They and know they money. and they've got loads of money. But <laughs> Liverpool are the same thing. They're aligned in one go. They all know exactly what they want this club to be and where they want it to get to and how they're going to get there. And it's no it's no uh, coincidence. That it's, it's not just the fact they've got Jurgen Klopp and loads of money or City have got Pep and loads of money. It's the fact that they are all joined up and thinking the same way and all pulling the same direction. There's so many clubs out there who are trying to do the same thing and yet it feels like they're hamstrung straight away because of the sort of the structures behind the scenes where it's all not quite right and again yeah we'll go on to that where I think there's a couple of clubs with other managers on the hot seat who have got the exact same problem definitely Uh, okay time for a quick break when we get back we're going to turn our attention back towards London uh, to assess the immediate futures of Unai Emery at Arsenal and Manuel Pellegrini at West Ham West Ham fans have seen from their club over the it last. Didn't feel like a derby, did it? When no, not at all. Not at all. If you think of, of how raucous the London Stadium was when they beat United two mm. 0 Manchester United, and then the atmosphere on on Saturday it was a lunchtime kickoff, but it was <sighs> mutinous. Yeah, I think that's how I described it in my match report. There was obviously the you'd think as well with Mourinho coming back with Spurs in town. It's going to get your juices going as a West Ham fan because they've always picked up points against you know the bigger London clubs. I think over the last so they've got they've had Spurs. They're going to play Arsenal and then they're going to play Chelsea. And I think in the last two seasons they've they've bested all of them. Um, but they were just 
Yeah, just completely out of ideas. They played a team that I reckon a year ago were, you know, to an exact 11, apart from obviously Haller, that were brilliant. You know, Felipe Anderson started magnificently. Yeah, Malenko, we were singing his praises. We were writing poems about that left foot. And kind of all of a sudden, they just look totally disinterested. Yeah, Yarmolenko was absolutely awful. Yeah, I, like I was, you know, Miguel was there as well. And we, we started watching them track back because it was pretty easy because they weren't. And Spurs didn't have to be that good. You'd mm. think you'd, you'd have a chance to really, really go at a team that had been underperforming. But even the fans as well, there were fans who were leaving after the first goal, which I think was on 34 minutes, which was astounding really um, and you know you pay your money either way you want but it sh- it showed just how much well just the lack of faith in Pellegrini and I think it was really interesting The his press conference afterwards he he looked a defeated man and he looked kind of exasperated because people were asking questions about Roberto and he refused to talk about that and he kind of focused actually entirely on Antonio that was the only thing he offered up that he was impressed with the way Antonio played and that West Ham needed him back um, and I think he's you know he should start this weekend but yeah it looked totally devoid of ideas and I think you know he's a very good manager and it's interesting speaking to a lot of West Ham fans who think they shouldn't sack him because they aren't actually going to do better than him but you know as is the way with a club like West Ham when things start going wrong you start hearing loads of different things you hear yeah. about fan disquiets from the various different members groups and then you hear someone from you know inside the inside the club talk about how or actually Pellegrini all he does is motivate people tactically he's not very good he just puts the attacking players in attacking positions and lets them get to it and therefore doesn't organise his defence um, just leads them to it as well but I mean obviously it doesn't help with having one of the worst goalkeepers in living memory but I think it's also important not to just focus on Roberto because you know from from top to bottom they are a bit of a shambles right now I mean would sacking Pellegrini really fix anything it seems more than any other club in the Premier League West Ham are the club with a complete cultural issue that has just persisted for a long time now and and isn't going to be solved with one man replacing another well, yeah, I mean, it's the owners and the way they operate and the way they move in sort of the transfer window. And they did, at the end of last season, promise to step back from it and allow you know Pellegrini to have more control over it. But, you know, things backslide there very, very quickly. And, I mean, I, I, I think, again, it, it's easy to say, but you need to have a manager who's got a clear vision of how he wants to play and is able to motivate the players and Pellegrini has never really been able to do that I mean at Man City he had a squad that was far better than anyone else in the division and the team switched off so often and let the opposition into the game this West Ham team have not got players that are good as good the um, the, the midfield is wide open you can stroll through there without getting picked up uh, the defence is confused and disorganised and they're clearly not responding to motivation I mean I think they'll have to act because they are in danger of going down the problem is they need to find someone who one will take the job on the conditions that exist there and two will be able to get the group of players organised and moving in the right direction not many of them out there I did enjoy on uh, BT Sport after the game Joe Cole clearly gave Jake Humphrey a bit of a nudge under the desk to ask him would he be interested and I can confirm, Joker was very much interested in that job. But that's the thing, right? It's sort of like, as Tony points out, it's like it's all well and good sacking a manager, but then who is going to go in there and accept the conditions that you have to work in at West Ham? It's a similar thing 
in terms of expectation that they've sort of got this elevated idea of where they quote unquote should be in the league and it's like well it's sort of you aren't you don't get points for where you should be you get points for winning football matches and it's sort of if you look at the current like at a glance at the uh, the current odds before I came in here in the studio and it's like Rafa's your favorite and it's like well if you look at Rafa Benitez a I don't think they going to be able to afford to or want to pay out his very healthy contract in China but also like it, whether he'd want back into the Premier League I think he probably would but they're going to have to pay him a lot of money and also like I'm not sure how much better you get he'd be much better tactically win a few more matches probably but long term I don't think you're any further along in the sort of the process than you are a Pellegrini you're looking at guys like Chris Hutton who I think would take it but again like I don't think you're going to do that much better long term with Chris Hutton than Yara Pellegrini and then someone like Eddie Howe I don't, why would he like finally leave Bournemouth to go and take a chance on isn't West Ham it, isn't it similar to what you were saying about Manchester United just on a slightly different scale like West Ham with this club with a big budget and like incredibly high expectations and yet they're sat 17th in the Premier League table with a huge cultural problem yeah well I mean the, the thing is Benitez would be really good for them but the problem is he's a, he's a manager who if you come in you give him a strict set of parameters, you give him a certain amount of money and let him get on with it, he'll do well for you. The second you don't live up to your promises, all hell breaks loose. Can you imagine what carnage to be at West Ham? It did last about four hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not quite sure why you would go from Mike Ashley to David Gold and David Sullivan. I think that's a. Out, out, out of the frying pan. He does scenario. have a record of taking bad jobs, he does have a record of taking the wrong jobs. Okay, we can avoid the topic no longer. Uh, the manager who is probably in the most immediate danger of losing his job is, of course, Unai Emery at Arsenal. The sport has actually extended him a lot of goodwill when he arrived at the club, but the Emirates seems a pretty toxic place once again. Here's what the man himself had to say after last weekend's 2-2 draw with Southampton. Good evening. I know I can do better and uh, I can uh, take more more performance with with the player and I'm going to try to do. Now my job is to analyze, to to try to to move on the the confidence with the players, but it's difficult. But uh, to move on uh, the next days and after analyze that's that's match, we're going to play again at home on Thursday and prepare the best possible and also we know and I know uh, the first is to combine our supporter. Ben, are we close to arriving at the point of no return with Emery at Arsenal? It sort of feels that way in the sort of it's that tide of the the like you said the toxicity in the stadium. It feels like it's only going one way. Um, the season is nigh on lost. Even as we're about to hit December, it feels like there's not much more he can turn around there. This playing squad is. Good in places, bad in places, very unbalanced. There's not much to, uh, given the amount they spent in the summer, I doubt he can do too much um, tangible change to that in January if he's given the opportunity. I think the fact that his contract is up in the summer, as we've discussed before, I think looms large to a, a famously frugal board. I think that would do them a favour. Um, it's hard to see how he turns this around. To be honest. It's, it's quite a difficult situation as... As ever, quite a difficult situation for anybody to go in and sort of chain, make tangible change to a club that was stuck in its ways for so long. But Emery didn't really feel like the right guy at the time and has basically proven that to be the case. Vish, do we think that 
Emery's really got the tactical nous to manage a club like Arsenal. I mean, when he arrived, there was all this talk about what a wonderful, what a wonderfully kind of pragmatic manager he is, and he likes to chop and change his tactics and all this sort of stuff. And yet, the result of that just seems to be that Arsenal are a club with zero identity at the minute. Um, they don't, they have, they've had zero, like no consistency whatsoever, and they're just a bit of a mess. I think there was um, there's an interesting graph that was doing the rounds on Twitter the other day about how. Arsenal under Emery are shooting a lot less, certainly shooting a lot less on target. And uh, it's strange because, it, you know, that was a, a criticism of Arsenal back in the day that they'd try and play pretty football. And at the very least, you know, you got the you got the, the early part of that. You got some intricate play that would ultimately be quite frustrating because they'd, they're almost a Barca light, weren't they? Kind of moving around the box. They don't even do that now. So they're now in a position where they're just not operating properly as well certainly in in an image familiar with Arsenal fans and they're also quite demoralising because the football they play isn't as attractive as as it used to be so I mean if there is a a tactical genius in there then we haven't seen it and I think it's kind of too far gone now because the club as a whole have just apart apart from the most important people who you know who hired him and are currently paying his wages but the club from the players to the fans seem to have completely you know had it with him because they're not responding to anything well if he's making any changes they're certainly not reflecting in what they're doing on the pitch Lacazette's lack of celebration scoring the yeah. equaliser against Lampton was very telling and I get that you know they were you know as players would have been frustrated that a struggling Southampton side has come to their you know come to the Emirates and, and probably should have won that game actually they certainly had chances to but it's just, uh, yeah, I, I think he's just long gone now. And the only reason they're keeping him is, uh, I'm going to steal. Uh, in fact, I'm not going to steal your point, Tony, because you said it off air, and I'll let you, I'll let you use it. But uh, you know, there's obviously something more to it than just right. He's underperforming. Let's get rid of him. There is something above him that's keeping him in this job and keeping him in this limbo. It's so peculiar how it strikes me as an incredibly similar situation to Tottenham, in that you've got this manager who is under a lot of pressure. And you've got now a number of first-team stars that he's fallen out with. Xhaka probably won't play for the club again. The chatter is Aubameyang's dawdling on signing a new contract. Lacazette clearly isn't happy. Are we now at the point where Arsenal's only realistic choice is to get rid of Emery uh, rather than employ a whole new set of players? Well, yeah, it, it does make sense. But there's a couple of things that he's... Um, obviously, he's good friends with um, um, the director of football. Well, yeah, I can't pronounce the second name. In fact, there's an injunction out uh, which forbids me from attempting to pronounce foreign names. Um, it, it, there's um, so so he's good friends with them, which plays a huge part in them getting the job. I mean, what's so remarkable is that the Arteta deal was done to all intents and purposes. They were going to take. Arteta as the next manager and within the course of eight, eight hours they had a switch but how do you go from Arteta who I don't think would have been a great um, a great signing all the way to Emery completely different different philosophies different points of view different approaches to the game so how would you do that so that showed how com- much the, the, the thinking was confused at Arsenal and then of course he's out of contract in the summer so w- you know what do you do do you want to pay him off now? Do you want to keep him? Um, I, I think the main thing is they have no idea who they could replace him with. Yeah. Well, I mean, where do they go next? If they do get rid of Emery in the summer, who are we tipping to replace him? I suppose Arteta would still be in the mix. I mean, they've already turned down Allegri once, so I'm not really sure why he'd come back and take it. 
I mean, Allegri is the sort of the standout candidate. I think they'd be very fortunate to have him, given the things he's achieved in the game up to now. Um, it sounds like they would go back in for Arteta. It'd be interesting to see how he divulges, how he didn't manage to contrive not to get the job the first time. Um, although, if it was me, I'd probably sit tight and wait for wait and see what Pep was going to do before I'd uh, mm. go and take a punt on Arsenal. It is tricky. It's like we've, we mentioned how with the with the West Ham job, it's sort of like Eddie Howe's in this position where he's he's doing very very well, and it's he's getting to the point where he's achieved basically everything he's going to achieve there. If they finish seventh, it's basically as high as they're ever going to get. Does he eventually back himself again like he did when he went to Burnley the first time? Didn't work out. Didn't work out. To don't take a chance and go and say, okay, right, I'm going to go and try and better myself, go to a bigger club. What is it about Arsenal other than the fact that it is the Arsenal? Do right now would make you go there? It's no way do Arsenal fans accept that he how can you imagine? Well, he's precisely, but then it'd be the similar problem with the with Brendan Rodgers, right? Who will be yeah. the next sort of biggest candidate out there? The suggestion is that he might fancy that job, but would you leave Leicester for Arsenal right now? It's sort of it's a it's a it's a tricky decision for everybody. I mean, you might if you had the assurances that there would be a certain amount of money in place and that you'd have a certain amount of control because there's so much confusion. You know, who's running the show there? No one has... Well, certainly there is no clear line of authority, certainly from an outside point of view, and talking to people around the club, they can't explain it to you. So uh, you'd need to have uh, some clear authority and you'd need to have assurances. And in, the, in that sense, it'd be hard to turn down Arsenal because they are, a, you know, they are, they should be one of the biggest clubs in the world. And, you know, people will argue that they are. Um, I'd say certainly that the top of the second rank of clubs. Um, it, it's superficially, it looks attractive, but, you know, you go right, what, what Arsenal need? Wenger in many ways, was like Ferguson. He had so much power, so much control, that the club was built in his image. And then when he left, all the institutional problems remained. But he went, you need someone to come in and, and sort out everything from the academy, which is a mess, all the way through to the first team, which is a mess. You know, it's... Um, so... You need someone with the the authority, and the, Allegri might have that authority, but has he got the skill set to do it right across the board? There are very few people in world football who can do that sort of thing, and it's a competitive market, and you look at Arsenal and you say, Phew. I mean, you know, Brendan Rodgers might like the idea there, but I mean... Given the way the recruitments and you know they they, they bought that stats company and yeah. and it it's, it certainly hasn't improved the, the the players that they've bought. I mean, but you know, can Brendan pick a player? You looked his experience in Liverpool during the horrific transfer committee days, and you've got to say, no, I wouldn't trust him with a a huge transfer budget. So, where do you go? Final question before we uh, head to here in Villain and wrap up the show. Do you guys want to predict, or not predict, how about we rank the four managers we've talked about um, by job security from the most safe to the most vulnerable? Ben, should we start with you? Um, it's tricky. I think I think Silver's on pretty thin ice. I think they've proved, they, of all these these four clubs we've talked about, I think they have proved themselves to be the quote-unquote sort of sacking club. I think they're ready to pull the trigger um, and have ideas that they can do better. I think on the other end of that spectrum, I really do believe that Woodward is wedded to 
Solskjaer and the and the experiment of trying to make this work by hook or crook. And like as Tony pointed out, I think there is a chance that Pochettino waits for them, so he's going to be given a chance to see how this plays out. And I think in the middle, it's sort of a toss up. I think Emery they could wait until the summer to save themselves some money. I think Pellegrini is yeah sort of slots in behind Silver for me. Yeah, in terms of safest first, I reckon it's Solskjaer, Emery. Silver and then Pellegrini. Pellegrini yeah, I think I think you know I, I think the um, you know West Ham owners being West Ham owners that they are, I think um, all it'll take is a bit more fan pressure and then it'll be done. Okay. I think uh, Silver goes um, next week. I, you know, obviously Everton play Leicester at the weekends and then it's the Derby next week. Give a spanker in the Derby. And he's gone. That that's over. Pellegrini next. Um, I think Emery will hang on by his fingernails simply because they can't find anyone to replace him. And um, you know, although I have to say, if it continue, if you continue to see so many empty seats at the Emirates, that might cause the Cronkies to react, and they'll want to make a move before the season ticket renewals go mm. out. And then I think Solskjaer, Solskjaer, unless they have a really crushingly bad run and run of form between now and Christmas, will certainly limp on till the spring, much to everyone's amusement. Okay, thank you, gents. Uh, there's just enough time left for a hero anvilin of the week. Ben, do you have a hero? Um, I would say at the time of taping tomorrow, um, Max Taylor of Manchester United, who's a remarkable story. If you've not read it already, it's a great interview on the BBC today with Simon Stone on a 19-year-old who's come all the way back from testicular cancer and has apparently stands a good chance of making his debut for Man United tomorrow. I think it's an incredible story. Um, yeah, he'll be my hero of the week. And Tony, have you got, got a villain? I, it, it's hard to have villains. I mean, for, for me, the thing that's... St- <laughs> you usually do, right? <laughs> All right I, I won't say Roy Hodgson. No, because Roy's not, real, not really a villain. He's just overrated. Um, but I, for, for me, the, the most villainous thing at the moment, and you know, you, you're going to be say, I'm, you, say, come up with something original, you're bored, you're going to take me, you're going to flush me head down the toilet to punish me. But it's like where VAR and the offside meet the bastard child of those two. <laughs> that, you know, that Raheem Sterling goal. How, how can that be disallowed? That's not what the offside rule was for. It's not what VAR is for. And I'll take the villains. All the job weight, jobs weights across Britain who go, oh, he was offside. Oh, you know, look, look, his shoulders off. Oh, yeah, look, 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 look. They're the villains. I hate every one of them. I can't follow that. Thank you, Tony. (laughs) Sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. Be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with everything going on. And if you're a new listener, please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.